This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. And we're back in the studio this week after a couple weeks on the road. Looking forward to uh, interview with Nick Hurst from the U.S. EPA's Indoor Air Plus program. This week is episode number 509. Uh, if you get a chance, go to our Facebook page and like us or the YouTube page, and you can subscribe there, comment, and uh, you can also sign up for the weekly show announcement at iaqradio.com. And you can download the podcast through Podbean, B-E-A-N.com or iTunes. And don't forget, we have those continuing education credits available. Send me an email at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you set up with the continuing education program. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or, if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations to Susan Valenti, IAQ Media in Boston, Massachusetts, for being first to correctly answer last week's trivia question, identifying eight as the number of professors that the University of Texas Austin had when it first opened. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, Friday, June 29, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. Name the EPA administrator who later went on to become director of the FBI. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Hey, before we get Nick on, I've got two quick industry updates. One is that the uh, Phil Moray uh, Scholarship Fund is going to be uh, the matching from uh, Don Weeks and Lanchi. They're going to continue to match funds up till July 31st, so uh, we'll put the link in the blog, and maybe we can get John to put that up in the chat box when we get a chance here. The other is that uh, Jay State was uh, recently, very recently elected as the new IAQA president, a sponsor of the show. We want to congratulate Jay and look forward to working with him as time goes on. So today's show, we've got Nick Hurst. Nick is an environmental protection specialist with the U.S. EPA and he's the program manager of EPA's Indoor Air Plus label for new homes. He's been involved in the construction industry for over 17 years as a self-employed uh, remodeling contractor, project manager, green building consultant, and trainer. He's got a master's in technology uh, concentrating in building science from Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, and he later served as Education and Outreach Director for the North Carolina Energy Efficiency Alliance at ASU's Energy Center. Before coming to EPA, he also worked as a consultant at ICF in their Federal, federal Energy Efficiency 
portfolio. He's a BPI building analyst and participates in a number of standard-setting organizations and technical committees. We're thrilled to have you on the show, Nick. Welcome to IAQ Radio. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Cliff. Appreciate uh, you having me. Thanks for the invitation. You know, it's it's great to have um, our friends from EPA's Indoor Environments Division join us here, and uh, great looking, really look, looking forward to an update on the Indoor Air Plus program. I've been promoting that program for years, and um, I want to get a little more detail for listeners today. So can you first tell listeners a little more about yourself and your role with the Indoor Air Plus program? Sure. Yeah, you gave me a, a great introduction to begin with. Um, but I've yeah, I've been in the construction industry most you know most of my life. Kind of gr- grew up doing it. It's kind of in my blood. Uh, my dad was a, a remodeler when I was young, and uh, some of my uncles were also builders and developers. Uh, so you know, I helped my dad build you know build our first house when I was uh, ten years old. Uh, you know, he taught me quite a bit and learned from my uncles doing framing and stuff in uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania, probably. Probably learned some bad habits. Probably learned a lot of good habits too. Uh, you know, back back then, the the idea of advanced framing—I don't know if that term was around then—but for us, it was probably how fast could you get that wall, you know, studded up, sheathed, and, and stood up, uh, you know, before uh, before morning break. So uh, that's you know, that's, that's kind of where I come from was uh, just hammer and nails. And then, um, uh, you know, eventually I, I came to your neck of the woods in the Pittsburgh area and did remodeling for about five years on my own. Uh, so. Remodeling is even more of a you know passion for me to some degree than the new construction. But uh, you know I'm running the Indoor Air Plus program right now at, at, at EPA, which is is focused currently on on new homes. And I'll talk a little bit later about how that may be transitioning in the in the near future. But um, uh, yeah, you know eventually uh, you know got into building science and wanted to kind of learn the specifics of how how buildings really work. Um, and that led me to you know understand you know learn about Energy Star and get connected with people in the industry, uh, you know, who are really kind of pushing the envelope, so to speak, and, um, and ultimately ended up here at EPA when the uh, previous uh, program manager, Bob Axelrad, retired um, close to two years ago. So, uh, you know, I haven't been here that long, but I've been in and around the building industry and the, and the green building um, realm for, you know, for a number of years. Well, you know, let's, let's go to the program itself just for a moment here. What, What's the intent of the program? Is there a label or some other, you know, some other form of recognition for, and this is new homes right now, and we'll talk about maybe, hopefully someday it will also uh, be something that existing homes can use, but let's, let's talk about the uh, intent right now. Sure. Yeah, well, the, uh, you know, one of the primary intents of the program is to give builders technical guidance, of course, uh, and give them a tool to take the next step from just building a kind of conventional code-built home or maybe even a, you know, better than code, an energy efficient home to building a home that really includes indoor air quality as a focus and, and add health protections for the occupants as well. Um, of course, the builder can only you know, go so far in delivering a, a product um, you know, that's designed for a healthier in- indoor environment. It's still, still up to the homeowner to play their part in maintenance, you know, long-term operation and lifestyle cleanliness, you know, the purchasing habits that they have. These are all factors too, um, but we can come back to that but it's really to set up the, the homeowner for success in their home. Um, but secondly, uh, you know, the second intent is it, it gives those builder partners that we have an opportunity to really market themselves in a different way too. The builders are always looking for, you know, that edge above their competitors. And with an EPA partnership program and a labeling program, they have something more solid to stand on as they're trying to, you know, sell this to home buyers. Uh, there's still a lot of builders that create their own kind of marketing brand and a proprietary uh program, whether it's around just quality or customer service or energy efficiency or health, et cetera. Um, but with Indoor Air Plus, they have a you know, government-backed label, and, and they can sell because they followed a set of, of best practices that are based on building science. And kind of you know, what we talk about is house, house as a system. And they have these practices verified as well by a third-party uh, home energy rater throughout the construction process. So from our standpoint, uh, you know, it's a, it's a public-private partnership that's really a win-win for, for government and industry. Uh, we don't have any regulatory authority here in the Indoor Environments Division at EPA to mandate, you know, specific levels of contaminants in the air, but we, in the indoor air anyway, but we, you know, we can force a, uh, and we can't force a builder to, you know, do, take any specific steps, but we can kind of give them the carrot at the end of the stick and, uh, and create and disseminate guidance about public health and health risks and then ultimately use non-regulatory voluntary programs like Indoor Air Plus 
to achieve some of those goals. And Energy Star itself is also a voluntary program, but that's kind of the foundation, right? So you've got to be Energy Star first. And then on top of that, you would do the additional things we've got up on the, or or follow the additional recommendations we have up on the uh, slide right now to become an EPA Indoor Air Plus qualified home. You got it. Yep. And Energy Star has got a great foundation when it comes to energy efficiency and the building envelope. Uh, They have good requirements for HVAC um, and even some moisture control elements, uh, some of which are completely parallel and in line with uh, our Indoor Plus requirements. And then our uh, Indoor Plus goes a little bit further in some of those areas in terms of moisture and HVAC. Um, And then add some non-energy components like um, radon and and pest prevention and then the selection of materials that go into the building, low emission materials. So we're giving, you know, not only an energy efficiency package, but um, and comprehensive kind of indoor air quality package. And ultimately that last item there, the, you know, a safer, healthier home is what we try to communicate, um, you know, from builders to homeowners. And, you know, we, we had, um, we have had, actually, we, we had um, the, the, I guess the originator, originator of uh, the Energy Star program on a few times, Sam Rashkin, once when he was at EPA, and then again, a couple times when he was uh, moved over to the Department of Energy. And when we talk about acceptance of the program, I believe the last time we talked, he was he was saying that, uh, and, and don't quote me on this, you can get me better better numbers, but almost 15% or more of the new home construction at the time looked like it was going to be Energy Star. As, do you know where we're at on that now? Yeah, that's a pretty pretty close estimate. Um, now, I don't know the specific number. I know it was up in the in the 20s at, at some point. Um, housing decline um, probably you know contributed to some fall off in those numbers, and some of the, the substantial um, you know recommendations and updates they included with Energy Star version three, um, you know, created some challenges for builders, but also pushed builders in a in a really positive direction too. Um, now, I think it's you know in the teens um, in terms of market market uptake of all new construction for uh for energy star which is great yes it is that's a big big jump uh you know from where they first started it was a very cost effective program as i understand it too it was they didn't spend epa didn't spend all that much money putting together the original energy star as i understand it anyhow uh Let's talk a little bit about how the program got started and how it fits into the context of other programs and standards in the market. You know, you've got LEED program, you've got the National Association of Home Builders and others. Um, Give us a little background on this. Okay. Um, Yeah, so the Indoor Plus was, you know, started around 2009. It was actually kind of kicked off as the Energy Star Indoor Air Package um, and then it, you know, grew into a program with its own specifications and partnerships. Um, and, you know, again, it's got that, you know, home label and third-party verification that goes along with it. And we do, a, you know, actually a quarterly reporting process with, you know, in sync with the Energy Star Certified Homes Program. So provide, so we kind of have a, a pretty good sense of how many homes are labeled in, in the market from home energy raters and, and providers. Um, and so over the first, you know, five years, it was kind of a slow growth in part because it came out, you know, right at the uh, housing downturn in the market. Um, but um, the program uh, did a revision in, uh, in 2013 and a couple subsequent revisions after that. But, you know, one of the, you know, primary intents here is to engage with the marketplace and figure out what's working, what's not. And so we, you know, we talk, we talk with builders and home energy, home energy raters and figure out what those challenges are and what those barriers are and uh, try to create alternative solutions for them as well. So uh, and then when we, when we see, you know, emerging building science happening and technological advances, we'll make tweaks to the specifications. Um, same process for Energy Star as well. Um, so some things simplified with the uh, Indoor Plus checklist in 2013. Um, we've seen a, a really nice uptick in the last few years, I think in large part because there's this, this growing focus on, on health in, in homes. And, uh, you know, that's, that's great. Um, just this past February, we released revision four of the specs. Again, similar, you know, similar updates and tweaks to the specifications with some additional exceptions and all kind of alternative pathways. Uh, we can talk about dehumidification in, in crawl spaces later. Um, one of the other things that's changing is the, the you know, the radon industry and, um, is, is updating some of their 
standards um, currently. The ARST consortium um, is is one who's you know has a primary focus on radon standards, and so we're starting to reference those, not necessarily requiring those standards to a T, but trying to steer um, builders um, towards understanding them and including those best practices in their construction of indoor air plus homes. So those are some of the high level changes. You know, you mentioned um, you know check you know quarterly checkup on the do you. Is anybody actually taking measurements in these homes to see what kind of effect some of these changes are having on, say, you know, radon levels or whatever other, uh, you know, particulate or VOCs? Um, how do you handle that? Well, um, I, I think there are some builders who are kind of trying to be proactive about that. I think, you know, before the show, you were talking about low-cost monitors um, that are, you know, proliferating in the industry. And there's still some challenges, of course, with those um, in terms of maybe accuracy and long-term, uh, you know, integrity. But, yeah, that's, that's growing as an interest area. We are not taking measurements um, at Indoor Air Plus. Uh, you know, we are um, actively engaged with the Department of Energy on a number of different uh, items, one being uh, their work in the indoor air quality arena and surrounding a baseline study that they're just about to, to kick off to uh, kind of assess what homes, um, you know, are how how their indoor air quality is, both code-built homes and homes that have, you know, kind of above-code ventilation, um, and maybe even those homes uh, that meet passive house standards. So um, there's not going to be a, you know, huge samples, but there's going to be a lot of great data um, that comes from those homes um, over the next couple of years. So we're looking forward to that. Who was doing that again? Department of Energy. DOE, okay, okay. Interesting. Yep. It will yep. be very interesting to, to see. Um, all right, well, let's, let's go to the next topic here. You know, you, you, we're basically looking at a, an approach of creating a healthier home. So what goes into that, and how do you discuss that with the public? Well, great question. So, um, yeah, there's kind of three primary strategies uh, that we have to create, you know, to reduce health risks and, and create a healthier home. Um, one is source control. That's probably the predominant one. Um, so we're you know, really trying to reduce or eliminate, um, you know, the contaminants that, that, that could be coming into the home, um, trying to keep them out from the beginning. Um, and you'll see that in a, in a minute in the, in the specs themselves when we talk about that. But uh, ventilation and filtration are then two other, two other ones. Um, so ventilation is, of course, diluting the air. And uh, filtration is, you know, uh, trying to remove what's what's left um, through a through a filter mechanism but uh, you know you can't do that for all contaminants but uh, particulate matter PM is is kind of the primary primary one um, so yeah when you look at the seven sections of indoor air plus um, you can start like at moisture control radon and pests you know those are all kind of source control um, areas where we're trying to keep keep those sources of contaminants out um, combustion pollutants and, and low emission materials is another source control strategy um, try and keep those contaminants out. And then HVAC systems deals a little bit more with the, uh, the latter two strategies, right? Ventilation and filtration. Um, mm -hmm. Then we have a section as well on home, home commissioning, which, um, you know, is a little bit about, about uh, ventilation and, and filtration as well, but it's also largely about homeowner education. Um, so that kind of gives a, a high-level look at, at, at our strategy. Now, one thing I also want to mention, Joe, is when we try to communicate with the public, which you asked about, you know, we, we try to make sure builders, um, you know, don't go so far in, um, in communicating uh, about Indoor Air Plus that they make implicit guarantees to, to home buyers. Because, of course, you know, we can set the home buyer up for success, creating a safer home, a healthier home. But just because we have what we call a quote unquote healthy home doesn't mean that their homeowners are never going to get sick or that they're going to, you know, cure some disease or, or ailment that they might have. Um, but it really is about, you know, the, putting the best building science, uh, you know, foot forward and giving them the tools and resources, uh, you know, to offer to the home buyer. Well, and, or that it's going to stay healthy if they don't properly maintain it. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got that. That's got to be a tough one because you're adding certain components like, you know, uh, ventilation and, and that ventilation needs to be maintained. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of balancing act, I would imagine that you have to uh, you have to work through. It is a challenge, um, especially when you know uh, the the transaction process. You know, at the time of sale is 
is when the, the keys turn over and it's really up to the, the homeowner to kind of uh, take the baton from there. And, and, but if the builder is proactive, hopefully they can give them a, you know, some resources and a package of guidance um, to pass along that can help them maintain a healthier indoor environment in the long run. That package of guidance, I think, is something that a lot of uh, builders are slowly, uh, you know, putting in the hands of their customers. So it's like, you know, you get a new car and you get this big uh, book on how to operate your new car and maintain your new car. Uh, I know when I bought any of the homes I bought, I didn't get any guidance on how to maintain my home. How do you handle that? Is that left up to the contractor or the, the builders to ensure that the homeowner has some kind of operating manual? It is. Um, in our requirements right now, um, you know, we require them to, you know, to deliver like this uh, package to the homeowner that mostly includes the instruction manuals for any, you know, equipment in the home and any, any, uh, anything that's related to the um, indoor air quality of the home. So maybe the radon system, right, uh, or, the, or the HVAC filtration system. Um, but what we're also working on right now is some more standard language that they can use to communicate a little bit more about those, uh, you know, manuals and resources. Cause like you said, you get a manual for your car or something. How many people really read through the entire manual? Um, yeah. you know, very few of us. Um, but we're trying to work in some canned language that we can offer, um, as a more, um, explicit, uh, homeowner education package for, for builders. All right. Well, let's, let's go now and walk through some of the, um, major elements of the actual indoor air plus specifications. Uh, what are some of the steps that a builder is required to take in terms of, let's start with moisture control. Sure. Um, one of the great things um, about moisture control uh, is uh, what Energy Star, um, when they transitioned to, to version three, they instituted a, you know, a water management uh, checklist, um, a water management uh, requirements now for the, for the builder that are kind of baked into actually their, um, their partnership agreement. And um, so some of these are kind of common sense, you know, sloping final grades away from the foundation. Uh, but yet still we see, you know, lots of new homes being built where things weren't done quite properly and they end up with foundation drainage issues, um, you know, near and around the home. Um, installing drain tiles at the footings of basements and crawl space walls, again, common sense. Energy Star has built it into their checklists. Um, one thing that Indoor Plus goes goes beyond that is to add a, a drain or a sump pump in basements or crawl spaces, you know, and that's primarily to handle, um, you know, water, uh, you know, un underground water and um, and potentially uh, mitigate issues that might happen in in the uh, in the basement itself from surface water from a, a pipe burst or, or something like that. Okay. And um, another one. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. You got the slide up on the basement slab with a capillary break. Yeah, so that's another really important feature. Um, you know, the capillary break is, you know, six mil, at least a six mil minimum uh, vapor retarder that's, uh, you know, put down before the concrete slab is poured. Um, and then in addition, uh, you know, we require a four inch uh, layer of, of clean aggregate um underneath underneath that now there's there's some exceptions to that um like in dry climates for example uh, or slab on grade homes you know all the all of these specifications for both energy star and indoor air plus are are climate climate zone specific um and radon zone specific um the one thing that this capillary break um requirement that you see here um helps with is not only moisture that's pushing up you know through the slab and and potentially creating humidity issues in the in the basement but also it sets you up for radon mitigation um, if, you know, if needed later. And uh, you know, we, we can talk about that one next, but sealing, sealing those slab edge walls to the, you know, to the foundation wall is important. Sealing any penetrations that come through the slab is also important. Okay. Let's go to the next one. So, all right. Tell us um, a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, this is more moisture requirements, foundation walls, um, basements and crawl spaces. You know, most everyone I think these days is, is doing damp proofing at, at minimum on their exterior foundation walls. It's an Energy Star requirement to um, Indoor Air Plus um, as a requirement for a sealed and insulated and conditioned crawl space or basement. So, you know, not all builders are doing that. Um, you know, some builders still just kind of throw some poly on the, on the floor in the crawl space and call it done. Um, but we rarely require them to, to seal, insulate, and, and condition it. Um, now, we've also seen, um, again, there's some exceptions to that, 
We've also seen um, really um, high quality basements and crawl spaces that haven't necessarily used conditioned air in, in them, but they've done dehumidification. Um, mm -hmm. So we've just, you know, in the last year, we've allowed an exception for, um, for this particular uh, requirement for the, for the conditioned air to allow them to do dehumidification um, in that, in that uh, type of crawl space. As long as they're still doing a, a capillary break on the floor, you know, it's got to be well sealed. Um, sealed to the piers, sealed to the foundation walls, you know, not just staked, um, staked in place. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, we want the dehumidifier to also be drained. We don't want to have to, uh, you know, require the homeowner to go down there and empty a bucket, uh, you know, every day. One of the questions I get on, what about the sizing of the dehumidifier? Is there any guidance on that or is that left up to the, the builder? It is left up to the builder currently, and um, we, we've been considering whether or not to add additional guidance uh, on sizing and even, uh, you know, quality, um, quality specs for the dehumidifier. We haven't landed on, on those yet. Um, we still want to engage with industry a little bit about that and figure out what's, re you know, reasonable and practical. Um, at this point, we're just trying to encourage active dehumidification as a start. Yeah, it's a start. It's a good start, actually. Yeah. All right, let's go to the radon section here, 2.1. We've got our radon controls. Uh, let's walk listeners through this slide right here. We've got uh, the sub-slab depressurization here. Is this, and, and keep in mind, listeners, this is for new construction. So go ahead, Nick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, so for Indoor Air Plus, to, to earn the label, if you're building in radon zone one, we require at least a passive a passive radon system and uh, that that term you know passive or active is you know an active system has a, a fan attached to it which actively you know draws air from under the slab um, that term passive is kind of the radon standards um, industry is moving a little bit more towards um, the idea of a radon rough-in rather than a passive system um, hmm. because uh, you know a radon a passive system can go so far you know to you know reduce risk of radon in the home but there's obviously, it's a lot more effective with an active system. So um, that, that terminology is changing a little bit. But, you know, really starts under the slab is, you know, creating that soil gas collection area um, and a, a, a pipe and a T-fitting and a simple, you know, three or four inch pipe going out the roof. It's very simple and, and cost effective to install on the front end. Um, so we are encouraging that in all radon zones, but, but it's required in radon zone one. Um, and again, uh, also a uh, receptacle in the attic because if, if we ever do need to make it an, an active system, if the, the homeowner tests and they're high, uh, they have high radon levels, we want them to be able to easily get a, 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 an active system installed. Nick, is this, how close is this to the uh, most current in, uh, code requirements for, for new construction? If you know off the top uh, of your good. Good question. I, I don't know for sure. Um, Appendix F um, of the uh, IRC um, has some basic requirements um, that are okay. I think we're a little bit more explicit um, in in our uh, Indoor Air Plus requirements, and the certainly the radon standards. Uh, you know the, the CCAH standard, which is that again that passive system or rough rough end system standard. Um, is much more explicit about um, you know the the requirements that go into uh, to to this type of system. So um, code's coming along, uh, maybe not as quickly as we would all like it, but um, it's getting there. I also noticed you've got a uh, polyurethane caulk ceiling at the floor wall joint, and that's been kind of highlighted throughout here. Um, I'm wondering though if you have any recommendation on the type, uh, just polyurethane, I guess, is the, the type of caulk or ceiling that you want. Yeah, there is a specific ASTM standard um, that, and I, that I don't have off the top of my head, but um, I think we do include it in our specs. Um, and uh, if it's not in our spec, it's in, it's in the, um, the radon standards themselves. Um, so, yeah, you don't just want any, any old caulk. Um, but the, the reason for that is, you know, your active radon system is going to be a lot, um, a lot more effective if it's not sucking conditioned air from your, from your crawl space or basement, but if it's actually pulling uh, as, as best it can against uh, that soil gas collection plenum. So we want to, you know, do, our, do the best we can to see all those joints and seams and penetrations in this lab. And then I just wanted to finish the radon, then we're going to go to halftime. This, this detail here gives us a little more on the, uh, 
uh, on the passive versus the, well, no, these are both looking like active to me. Nick, can you comment on these? Yeah, well, um, we get, we get uh, questions from time to time, not regularly, but, you know, how can I do a, an indoor plus home with a gut rehab? Uh, you, you can earn the label um, if you do a gut rehab because, you know, you can follow the Energy Star requirements and, and earn both labels. Um, but it's obviously hard when you have an existing slab there and we don't know what's under it, um, depending on how old the home was, um, if it's been prepared properly. So we've given an, uh, basically an alternative pathway for gut rehabs to earn the label. If they're in radon zone one, then they, then they just have to do an active system and do a test out upon final inspection. So that kind of helps, um, you know, ease our mind a little bit about, you know, what was underneath the slab to begin with um, and, you know, doesn't add a substantial amount of cost for, for the remodeler. When you're doing a gut rehab, obviously, there's a, a lot of other costs you're incurring anyway. So this is a pretty, pretty light lift, we think. Interesting. All right. Um, we're going to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back for the second half of our interview. We've got Nick Hurst from the EPA Indoor Air Program, or Indoor Environments Division, Indoor Air Plus Program Manager. We'll be right back. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. And please be sure to thank our sponsors when you inquire about their services or products. Let's get back with Nick Hurst. We're, we're going to go into the, I want this is kind of perfect, Nick. We broke and now we're going to come back to the, the big daddy of the, uh, of the IAQ plus indoor air quality plus the HVAC system. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the HVAC system and uh, indoor air plus. Uh, well, although actually, I think maybe was the pests first, Nick. Which which one do you want to go to? Oh, oh either one. We can. Looks like you have pests up. We can talk yeah, briefly about those. And it looks like your yeah, primary have- concern is keeping them out in the first place. Yeah, it's pretty common sense as well, right? I mean, we don't have a substantial pest, uh, you know, pest requirements. Um, when you're doing a, a, an Energy Star home, you're doing a lot of air sealing anyway and, you know, limiting a lot of the pathways pests can get into. Um, if you do have large, large, uh, you know, um, gaps that need to be caulked or sealed, we always recommend using kind of like a, a some type of wire mesh or something behind those try to keep out rodents in the long run that who might be able to burrow through that caulk um, down the road. But our really only primary requirement is to use a corrosion proof uh, bird screen or rodent screen on any of those openings that can't be sealed or caulked. So trying to keep, trying to keep those pests out of chimneys and uh, out of your mechanical systems. Makes sense. Let's go to the next one. Now we're talking about HVAC and we've got sizing and design. And I kind of like your, Homes in warm, humid climates line here. It's uh, not quite not quite the same as the uh, as, as the the chart here. T- tell listeners a little bit about how you came up with this. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's not something that we came up with. It's uh, it is the the hot, humid uh, climate designation by the IECC. Um, so it's you know really applies down there in the southeast. It's not just um, you know, climate zone two, but a little, it has that little bit of zone three in it as well. Um, so, you know, our primary intent here, um, aside from proper HVAC sizing and design, you know, using ACA manual J, D, S, uh, or using ASHRAE handbook is to, to try to promote 
um, dehumidification in those in those climate zones. Um, and you know, really, in the long run, down the road, we may want to be promoting dehumidification in you know even above that line in, in other places. We haven't um, figured out exactly where to land on that yet. But as we build homes tighter and tighter, uh, you know, it's latent loads from inside the home can be you know can be troublesome and challenging to, to deal with. So, uh, in addition to the the substantial ventilation load that you get, you know, in those um, southeastern climates and, and in, in some others, um, you know, up the eastern seaboard. You know, I, I live in the mountains of Pennsylvania here between Pittsburgh and Harrisburg, and um, my dehumidifier has not, stop, not stopped running since, the, well, it would have been April, uh, nonstop. I try to keep it below 55, and um, I'm just really surprised at how these swing seasons, it's really tough to uh, keep it below 55%. And, you know, I, I suspect someday you'll be moving that line way up. But we'll, we'll see as time goes on, Nick. Let's go to the next slide there, John. All right. Um, want to tell us a little bit about this section from the, from the uh, Indoor Air Plus program. Sure. Um, you know, again, I mentioned uh, ACA manual JDS, you know, ACA manual D kind of helps the designer um, design the duct system. Um, and so that's built into the Energy Star requirements now, which is great. Um, and making sure that they're airtight, properly, uh, properly balanced. Uh, you know, you see a picture there of sealing the duct with, with mastic, which is our, uh, you know, preferred, uh, preferred way to do it. Um, yep. But then Indoor Air Plus, you know, also um, requires that we don't use any building cavities as part of the forced air supply system or the return system. You know, there's still uh, a lot of builders who are um, using returns in, um, you know, joist, joist cavities and wall cavities. Um, and we're trying to steer them away from that practice. Um, and then covering duct openings um, during construction, uh, or at least substantially vacuuming them out, them out prior to installing the registers. You see an example there of, uh, you know, a contractor who, you know, put his boot in and then, um, you know, put the piece of plug right back on the floor and masked it down, um, which is a really nice, simple, effective way to, to kind of cover things during construction. Uh, we also, we all, we know that uh, the builder can't necessarily keep them covered uh, forever throughout construction because they got to sometimes condition the home, right, um, to kind of take the humidity, humidity out of the home. So that's why we also allow them to, to vacuum them out after, uh, you know, uh, after construction. After construction. Let's go to the next one, John. Okay, here we've got a little more on ventilation, whole house ventilation. And this is a really big topic here and an important topic. So tell us a little bit about this particular slide, Nick. Well, um, yeah, you know, we're requiring ASHRAE 62.2 for whole house ventilation. Um, I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with that. Um, this is a just a, a basic picture on the left there of how you might achieve that through exhaust ventilation and the timer control, you know, with a, with a bath fan and a timer. Uh, the picture on the right shows, um, instead of an exhaust ventilation, a positively pressurized um, ventilation strategy. Uh, you know, you have ducted fresh air coming into the home. The nice thing about that one is you can, you can filter that oftentimes, um, you know, and potentially use a, a, a damper um, and maybe not even use the, um, the central air handler itself. To you know, to provide that ventilation, that's that's the ideal. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, a balanced ventilation system, which is even better. Um, you know, through an ERV or HRV. And we don't require any, or mandate any specific one of those, but we want to meet ASHRAE 622. I'm just curious: is there any uh, push toward more focus on a balanced system? With uh, you know, that seems to be. I don't know the preferred method for a lot of the building science gurus out there. I'm wondering um, what what's been happening in the EPA program with respect to that? Well, we haven't, we haven't yet, um, you know, uh, made um, strong recommendations or requirements around balanced ventilation, but yeah, I think it's, um, it's kind of known throughout the industry that that's probably the ideal approach. And I think even ASHRAE 62.2, there have been proposals to reduce, um, you know, the, uh, the requirement for ventilation if balanced ventilation is used. Um, I think that committee just met this past, uh, this past week. And so I'm sure we'll be hearing more maybe in one of your upcoming shows, you can have somebody on the, on the committee talk about, uh, that discussion from their standpoint, but it's certainly important to us at EPA and we're watching it closely. Yeah, that's a good idea. We may have to get Paul Francisco or somebody back. We had Paul probably about a year and a half ago now. So that's a great idea to uh, follow up on that. I noticed that 
Allison Bales had a new blog out today, and um, we'll get folks that information in the in the blog. But he was going over some of the discussion at the most uh, recent uh, meeting on that particular issue. Let's let's go to filtration, Nick. This is a, a very important issue for listeners. Tell us a little bit about the filtration uh, recommendations for Indoor Air Plus. Yeah, well, one of the things that we just um, added in, in Revision 4 is an advisory to filter outdoor air, filter incoming, you know, incoming air if you do have one of those, um, you know, positively pressurized systems or a balanced system. Um, and really, we'd, we'd love for it to be MERV 13 or higher. That's not always, um, always achievable, depending on your, your equipment. But um, we're, we're, we know that, you know, Outdoor air is generally generally better than indoor air, but depending where you live, depending what's happening around your home, um, you know, you may still have substantial particulate matter coming into the home, and it's important to filter it as a source control control strategy, you know, right out of the gate. Um, and those MERV, as you can see that in that chart, you know, MERV uh, MERV 14 is when you start getting up in like the 75 to you know 80 percent um, kind of uh, removal efficiency area, um, and you know with with Energy Star and I think Asher 62.2, we're still back at MERV 6, um, you know, mm-hmm. for, and that's for a central, uh, a central ventilation system. Uh, but, uh, you know, MERV 8 is what Indoor Air Plus requires on a, on a central um, ventilation system, uh, HVAC system. But we are, again, rec- recommending that you filter not only the recirculating airstream, but the, uh, the exterior incoming air as well. So this particular slide goes over the the end. Um, I guess it's the Energy Star requirements, and then installing only an HVAC filter, MERV eight or higher, like you said. Uh, the the second one's interesting. Do not install any air cleaning equipment designed to produce ozone. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, we certainly. Um, I, I don't think it's too common, actually, um, to you know it, to have. Um, substantial ozone generation. Um, there are some, you know, types of electrostatic uh, filters and things that, that may produce fractional amounts of, of ozone, um, which, you know, generally are not, uh, are not all that uh, troublesome to, to health and uh, to those with respiratory issues. But ozone can be a substantial, you know, um, uh, aggravator for, for respiratory uh, issues. So we don't want any, any air cleaners that are like ozonators, right, that are pr- producing ozone. Um, and we, you know, we want to use a, also a filter in the air handling unit during construction, uh, you know, and then also a, a clean one upon final inspection. Uh, but one of the other important pieces of, of higher MERV filters is making sure that you, you know, don't stick in a high MERV filter without accounting for it in the, in the total design of, of the HVAC system. So, um, you know, if you have a wider, a wider filter rather than a pleated MERV-8 filter, you might actually um, have better airflow um, across the filter and, and throughout the entire system without you know, hurting your air handler so much and, and really reducing your, um, your mix throughout the home. Okay. Let's, let's move on to combustion equipment, a very important indoor air quality topic. Why don't we talk a little bit about this slide, Nick? Yeah, there's so much to go into with combustion equipment. Um, but, you know, the long and short of it is we want to mechanically draft or direct vent you know, uh, any gas or oil-fired fired, uh, furnaces or boilers. There's exceptions to that um, in climate zones uh, one to three, where there's it's still somewhat common there. Um, you know, so if you, if you do a CAS test um, there, um, that's that's permitted. Um, fireplaces should be mechanically drafted or direct vented. Those are actually Energy Star requirements, which is great. Um, okay. We also require not, you know, not installing any uh, combustion space heating or or decorative appliances um, within within condition space that are that are unvented. So um, again, another important uh, uh, combustion safety safety issue. And then if there's um, homeowners that are doing other types of wood wood burning um, stoves or pellet stoves, uh, fireplace you know wood burning fireplaces, there's some emission standards and restrictions um, for those that, that we require as well. And those are you know fairly well detailed in our in our specs. Okay, and here we've got a little more detail on, uh, let's see what we've got. Oh, uh, attics and garages. Let's talk a little bit about this section. Yeah, so combustion pollutants, it's not just about, you know, direct venting or mechanically drafted equipment. It's also about where are there combustion um, pollutants, you know, for, you know, right beside the home if you have an attached garage. Um, 
So, you know, we require kind of two, two strategies here. One is just isolating that garage from your conditioned space. And air sealing goes a long way, uh, weather stripping the door, and we include in a requirement for an automatic door closer on any connecting doors between the, you know, the garage and the living space so that, you know, if somebody does start the car and it's running for a while and the kids are running in and out of the, in and out of the home, hopefully the door is, is, is closing and not, you know, filling the home with, with auto exhaust. Uh, but the second one, which is equally important is, is a ventilation strategy or some type of pressure testing to ensure that the home is actually substantially air sealed. So we used to we used to require a garage fan in the in the garage, and that's very common in commercial garages, right? But not right. so common in 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 residences. So a lot of builders were saying, "I really don't know how to sell that to my home buyer. That's an additional cost, additional challenge for me, um, you know, to install that. Are there any other alternatives?" So we allow the um, we now allow in uh, in homes that use a a negative um, a negative pressure. Uh, ventilation system. So again, going back to that bath fan on a timer, if they're using that to meet ASHRAE 62.2, there's a good chance they might be sucking garage pollutants into the home, right? Because they're exhausting the home regularly. So in those right. cases, we want we want the the home energy rater to do basically a zonal pressure test across the 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 door from the garage to the house to make sure that they have substantially air sealed uh, that home. If it doesn't pass that zonal pressure test. There's got to be some more air sealing that needs to be done on that garage interface or, uh, you know, a garage fan put in. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I noticed a couple articles recently. I think it was from the New York Times or maybe others that more people were dying in, you know, from carbon monoxide coming from cars running in garages because they've got the automatic start now. And uh, it looks like you're kind of taking that into consideration here, too. Plus, we have tighter homes and, you know. Um, those carbon monoxide, the, those combustion uh, pollutants don't have a way to get out. So very interesting. Let's, yep. let's go to the next uh, topic right here. We've got uh, 24. Okay, this one's fascinating to me. I'm getting ready to put in some new carpet. And, uh, you you know, I don't have a lot of carpet in the house, but with a slab on grade and a cold, cold uh, you know, cold climate, a little carpet here and there can be quite nice on your feet in the wintertime. And um, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's the best label? It looks like you guys have uh, chosen the CRI, CRI green label. Can you tell the listeners a little more about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's right. The CRI green label, green label or green label plus um, is for carpet and carpeted adhesives. Um, and, you know, that's uh, what we try to do with um, this section is identify um, what standards and third-party labels um, kind of are available in the market for for materials that are that are low emitting, um, and there's a you know there's three primary requirements. Carpet is one of them, um, and then composite wood and interior paints are the others. Um, and those have been in there since the beginning of the program. We have some additional advisories um, that weren't originally included um, for both adhesives and sealants, and for hard surface flooring. So with our process of spec updates, you know we try to signal to the industry and to our partners what changes might be coming down the road. It's very likely that in version two of our program, we will have uh, low emission material requirements for those adhesives and hard surface flooring. Um, fortunately, they're becoming more available in the market now, so it's mm -hmm. not a big lift for, for builders. Um, but uh, composite woods and interior paints, um, you know, there's a lot of low VOC, quote unquote low VOC interior paints. Um, we're trying to uh, steer folks towards um, ones that are third third party third party labeled, and you know there's also a couple different methods towards um, achieving you know what's called a low emission material. Um, you know one is uh, low emission by or um, low VOC by content or by weight, and so that's like the amount of you know VOCs that you measure sort of by weight in the in the material. The other is what's actually coming out of the material, right? The, what's it being being emitted. And we don't, um, we don't recommend one or the other. We have a number of different third-party labels that we suggest, um, you know, that, that are appropriate um, for, for these homes. Um, but, you know, I think we're moving towards a place where 
uh, we're seeing what we want to me be able to measure what's coming out of the product um, even more substantially than, than what's going into it. So that might be a shift that's happening in, in the future. That's probably a pretty big shift for the, the builders and the energy raters that you use to, to help you with the program. Um, you know, they're, they're used to dealing with energy and air tightness and so on. And uh, well, when you tighten it up, then, then you've got to be even more concerned about these, these uh, emitting materials. Um, have you had, good buy-in from your group on this? Yeah, you know, a, couple, a few years back, we had a lot of questions from builders and raiders about how do I find these? You know, I, I don't quite understand the requirements. I don't understand what I'm looking for, you know, from, from my supplier. And so we um, drafted this document called How to Find Low Emission, um, uh, low emission uh, Materials for, uh, for Indoor Air Plus, Plus Compliance. And that seemed to, to help a lot of, a lot of builders and, and home energy raiders. I think there's an image on that in the, in a subsequent slide. Um, but yeah, I think this landscape is changing, changing rapidly and, uh, it's probably going to continue to evolve very quickly, especially as we're, uh, you know, folks are kind of monitoring total VOCs now, you know, through some of these low, low cost monitors. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about formaldehyde and, and composite wood. I know this has been, you know, it's an area of concern for homeowners and contractors. Uh, we had the lumber liquidator thing and all the other things that kind of brought this to, to people's attention. Um, what should we be looking for with low formaldehyde products? Yeah, great question. Um, and composite wood, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of folks, um, you know, don't, don't recognize right away how, how much composite wood is in our homes. You know, there's um, cabinetry, um, structural panels, of course, you know, the OSB in our homes. Um, but there's shelving, there's trim, there's uh, doors are oftentimes made of MDF, even stair treads are made of MDF. Um, so there's a lot of these materials in our home. Um, and for a while, uh, the California Air Resources Board, CARB, um, phase two, you know, was the kind of uh, gold standard in, in the country for, for low formaldehyde products and, and still is. Um, and uh, so we would reference uh, CARB phase two as a compliance method for some of those. And there's a number of other ANSI standards for different types of those, those products, the particle board, MDF, et cetera. Um, but what's happened recently, you know, over the last couple of years is EPA, um, you know, worked with CARB to develop a national rule, the, the TOSCA Title VI, the, which is the Toxic Substances Control Act, um, to really create a national standard for formaldehyde and composite wood products. And that's, that's great for homeowners and consumers. And it actually goes into effect uh, this year, this, this month. Um, so as of June 1st, um, you know, all composite wood products that are those uh, hardwood plywoods, NDF, and particle board that are sold or manufactured or even imported into the U.S., they need to be labeled as CARB Phase two or TOSCA Title VI. Um, so that's a great thing for, for homeowners. Um, and I think over the next, you know, year, year and a half, we'll be assessing kind of how to make the next step um, in, in improving indoor air quality when it comes to formaldehyde and composite wood. Uh, for the Indoor Air Plus program. So that's still on the horizon. And you had mentioned earlier the document that we have up now, how to find Indoor Air Plus compliant low emission products. Um, Want to just follow up a little on this document? Sure. Yeah, that's the one I mentioned previously. And, uh, you know, again, it's available on our website. Um, it's on our pro program documents page where you can find our construction specs. Um, and this document, which is kind of a, you know, an additional resource to help you find those. Um, and we'll be updating this uh, again in the near future as well. Um, but, uh, you know, check back six months or a year from now. and I'm sure things will, will continue to evolve. Yeah, you're, uh, you're, you've evolved quite a bit since the last time I, I talked about this, Nick. It's, it's great to see. <laughs> and um, you're working with other industry, you know, partners. And uh, really, and I think that the nicest thing is you keep mentioning how you're working with the builders. And, you know, that's vital because if, if they don't buy into it and can't find a low-emitting product or, or a, a good detail on how you want uh, certain things done, it's just not going to happen. So... I'm always happy to hear that uh, the builders are also involved with this. Let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, the commissioning of the home. Let's go to the next slide, John. This is, I believe, going to be on commissioning. Um, let's talk a little bit about this particular slide here, Nick. Yeah, commissioning is a funny term. You know, it's it's one that uh, 
uh, resonates a little bit more in the commercial world, but even there, um, I think it's starting to change where um, people don't quite understand what it means. There's not a great definition for it. Um, really what we try, I think what was the original intent of this was to try to, you know, flush out the building as best we can um, when some of those potentially emitting products are being installed, um, you know, and, uh, and after, and after the, the home is complete, it's really trying to ventilate the home at the highest rate practical. Um, and then give, you know, give the rater an opportunity to, to inspect and, and double check that there's, you know, a good filter in the home. But one of the most important pieces, which, you know, we talked about earlier is that homeowner, homeowner, um, you know, education piece. And so mm-hmm. each and every indoor plus home should have a, both a label that goes on the, the breaker box and a certificate with it as well. Um, some builders, again, kind of stuff that in a folder with a bunch of other things to give to their home buyer and don't pay it much attention. But I think, um, you know, builders who are really wise to this um, will kind of walk through uh, some of those key bullet points um, about the features of the home that are listed on the certificate and even maybe a little more in depth about, um, you know, the reasons why they should maintain some of those additional um, systems, dehumidifiers, uh, you know, a radon system, um, you know, don't ever cut into the radon pipe, for example. That should be a, you know, a number one, um, you know, uh, recommendation that a builder should pass on to the, to the home buyer. You know, I've noticed in working with some, some contractors and actually folks we've had on the show, they'll, they'll use these as a, a marketing thing. I mean, you, you, you've got the nice label up on uh, whatever, you know, your breaker box or whatever. And, and then they have a little sign below that that kind of explains, you know, why this was a, a part of their uh, healthier home or their, their indoor air plus home. And it, it, they use it as a way of selling the home. Absolutely. And people have asked us if we could have indoor plus plaques and, you know, if we had unlimited budgets, that'd be great, but uh, we don't offer indoor plus plaques, but yeah, some builders do kind of, you know, put a little framed, uh, you know, framed uh, certificate together for the, for the home homeowner and pass that along as a value add for them. So. Well, we're talking about builders and, and raiders and so forth. If they're interested and they, they want to learn more, uh, what other additional technical guidance and tools does EPA have available? Great. Um, so yeah, if they, if, if you want to learn more about it or plus, we'll give you the contact information you know, uh, for our website and our email um, at, the, at the end. But if you have um, technical um, inquiries um, right away, go to the DOE um, Building America Solution Center. This is a great resource where we have our, our program checklist and also some, some additional guidance and background details about each of those spec items. Um, and, and the same for the other um, federal labeling programs for homes, Energy Star, uh, the Water Sense Labeled Homes Program, and DOE's Zero Energy Ready Home Program. So those um, resources are all there. The Pacific Northwest National Labs does a great job keeping it up and actually taking additional public input on that as well. So if you have good pictures and images, please feel free to send them in to them. Well, I'm glad um, you're working and then, Go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, marketing tools as well. There's another um, section on that solution center for kind of sales um, resources and um, ways to communicate those kind of you know, building science types of things to the home buyer. Um, and we try to do that as well with some of our literature that uh, you know, partners can access uh, on our website too. So we have a, a Discover Indoor Air Plus Homes booklet. It's uh, you know, about 30 pages of information about why uh, you know, contaminants are an issue and how Indoor Plus helps to address those uh, contaminant issues. Excellent. And that DOE website is just really getting better every uh, every month almost. I'm, I'm glad to see you've got your materials on there as well. Uh, and then we've got the last, yeah. the, the Indoor Leader Awards here. How about telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a great opportunity for um, builders and home energy raters who are participating in our program. There are partners um, they're they're labeling homes or they're verifying the homes in the, um, that are that are being sold. And uh, every year we have this opportunity. It's open right now, um, and it's um, it's open till July 9th um, for any eligible home energy raters and builders. And so it's really featuring about a 10 to 12 of of our leading partners who are using those marketing resources and doing really great um, education um, to the homeowners, uh, promoting the program. You know, using the logos on their website. Um, and kind of going the extra mile to communicate the importance of indoor air quality. Um, and this year we have uh, a couple really exciting new developments with this. Uh, we'll be actually be um, not only giving the award to about 10 or 12 um, of our partners, but also one leader of the year winner 
um, in both the builder and raider category. And those are going to be announced at, uh, at the EVA High Performance Building Summit, which is happening in October um, in San Diego. So uh, a really exciting event. There's a lot of indoor air quality experts there. They have a great lineup. They just released their um, educational program. A really good, really good conference. And uh, we'll be, again, presenting these awards uh, to the winners there. Well, we'll have to uh, see if we can't follow up on that, Nick. Let's let's move to the, the next one, though. You, you said the program continues to make updates and refinements and spec, um, and there may be some other changes on the way. Can you, you tell us a little bit about where the program is headed? And we're not we're not uh, stuck on just stopping the show at one o'clock here. And if you have time, we we can go over another five minutes or so, Nick. Sure, I'm happy to stick around and, and I'll be brief about these. We talked a little bit about um, you know, some of the potential specification updates that might happen uh, to really kind of help us raise the bar just a little bit further when it comes to indoor air quality um, you know, impacts for the homeowner. So some of those things are listed there, you know, maybe the more low emission materials categories or increased filtration for, um, for fresh air coming in. Um, but then we're also considering opening up the program more to uh, mid and high rise. Um, the Energy Star Certified Homes Program and the Multifamily High Rise Program are going through an evolution right now, um, which is an exciting one where the multifamily program will, instead of just being a high rise, it'll go from low to high rise. Um, and so there'll be some eligibility changes. So we're um, potentially going to have some eligibility changes of our own in the, in the near future. Uh, we're just on the front end of that, and a lot of that's going to be in development over the next uh, six months to a year. Uh, but we're also consider, um, working actively, actually, on a, uh, specifications for an existing home program. Uh, when this first was rolled out, you know, uh, 10 years ago, roughly, um, it was just new homes, but the hope was that this could be applied to existing homes, but it's, it's more challenging, you know. So um, new homes was tackled first. And now we're at a place where we think um, we could hopefully apply some of the same building science recommendations and practices for IAQ into the existing homes market, which could have a, you know, a really great reach for, uh, for home performance contractors. Um, and yeah, here's some reasons why, you know, there's um, roughly 11,000 HVAC change out a year. There's uh, millions of homes every year that are upgraded and oftentimes they don't have any sort of comprehensive plan for, you know, for in indoor air quality and, and environmental health. So um, if we can help homeowners kind of create that plan and help home performance contractors, um, you know, advise them in, in that plan and, and making those upgrades, we can see a really big impact. And it could be great for homeowners, but also great for the, the home performance industry. Um, and we're hearing from, uh, you know, some of those stakeholders in that industry that EPA you know, has great tools already um, why not apply them to a label? Uh, you know, we have the healthy indoor environment protocols, which I think you guys have talked about before on your show, um, yes. that are great, great recommendations for, for home energy upgrades that are more specific to, uh, you know, to health and safety features. Um, so we have the con, you know, some of those, the, the content already and creating it in a way that uh, we can, uh, you know, fit it into a labeling program is the next, next challenge and, and, uh, exciting development. Seems like that would be nice, too, for a homeowner that, that wants that for themselves, but then also when they sell their home, they want to be able to market it as, you know, a little better than the home next door that you might consider. Absolutely. And we, we, we foresee it, um, you know, kind of following a similar type of approach, third-party verification, you know, um, EPA partnerships with, um, with uh, you know, home energy evaluators or, uh, you know, IAQ evaluators in the home. Um, and then they can market their their participation. Um, you know, we'd have some type of credential um, for the verifier, we presume, and they help create a scope of work and uh, and help usher the the home repair process, and then ultimately do kind of a, a final test out. So um, all those those things are still in the works, and we're trying to gather as much feedback from from key stakeholders as we can as we develop that. I could see people building a business uh, model around that, with especially with the existing home. There's such a huge market out there. And uh, I know a lot of the home performance guys are trying to go to a more holistic approach, you know, of, um, you know, while we're in doing any, um, any kind of upgrades, air sealing, adding insulation, let's also upgrade the, the mechanical system and uh, get it all done at once. So uh, I, I can see that being a big, 
nice program for you in the future. Um, looks like what we've got here are just some uh, some ways of people to get more information. If you could just mention for uh, listeners what we've got up on the slide now, Nick. You bet. Um, <clears throat> EPA.gov slash Indoor Air Plus. That's our that's our website. And of course, uh, it's great. We uh, we take feedback and and questions by email. It's Indoor underscore Air Plus at EPA.gov. Um, so that's a great way to get in contact with us. And then you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, we, we use those forums to communicate with partners and uh, kind of give, you know, snippets about program updates and great things happening in the IAQ industry. Nick, before we go, and Cliff, I just wanted to jump in here and make sure, was there anything you wanted to add or ask Cliff or ask Nick? I just had one, Nick. When, when you give the label to the contractor to apply to the you know, electrical panel uh, and so on and so forth. Is there a specific number on there that prevents someone from just, you know, copying, you know, the label and, you know, putting it on their houses that haven't gone through the program? Great question. No, there's, there's not a specific ID number for each home. And, um, and we actually don't even, uh, we don't even collect address level information on homes, um, but the, the home energy rater and the home energy provider, their oversight, provider are the ones that um, apply that label to the home and they're the only ones that can actually access um, our, our label stock the sticker stock itself um, you know obviously somebody could um, try to photocopy or do you know um, you know make additional labels but uh, we don't have the ability to kind of monitor or, or police that but um, I haven't heard of any any instances of uh, of fraudulence yet so keep fingers crossed okay thanks Nick, before we go, is there anything we missed that you'd like to add? And I also just want to thank you so much and uh, the, the folks that helped us organize this and, and, and get this program put together. Um, you know, it's always great to have folks from the federal government come on the program and, and talk to us and our listeners. Anything you'd like to add before we go? Well, I guess for all those listeners out there who are you know deep into the IAQ industry, we'd be happy to take your comments. Uh, thoughts and feedback on our specifications themselves, especially as we're moving, uh, you know, over the next year or so to a, a version two of the program and, and re refining it and, and adapting it a little bit differently and even applying it again to existing homes. So we're looking forward to that collaboration and feedback and uh, please reach out to us if you have questions. Yeah, when you're doing that existing homes, I, I'm going to urge, uh, I made an announcement. Jay Stake was the next, the now president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. I'd love to see them uh, working more with you on this, on this next phase, because that's the kind of thing their people do. We go in and try and fix existing homes. And that can be quite a challenge, Nick. <laughs> no doubt. Agreed. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to Nick Hurst for joining us from the EPA's Indoor Environments Division, the Indoor Air Plus Program Manager. And by the way, I've used uh, some of your details in my training classes for years now and uh, very helpful, especially like the crawl space and, and things like that. So it's great to, great to have that kind of work available to the public. I um, also want to mention that uh, next week we'll be taking a little break. Cliff, we're going to take a little break for the holidays, but uh, we'll be back the week after. I think we've got another restoration show lined up. Cliff, is that still on the books? I think so, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, to the All best right. of my knowledge, correct. We have two. One with um, Norp, Whitney, right. Whitney Wiseman from Norp. Yep. And then the following week, we were hoping to get the, the Australian group. I think the Australian group in the RIA just had a, a big event in Australia. So, uh, again, thanks to Nick Hurst for joining us today. Of course, to my co-host, the Z-Man uh, at the controls. John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners will be back in two weeks with the next live broadcast of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.